Well, we are a blessed bunch, a blessed bunch. We're so blessed. The blessed people call us blessed. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Well, what do you want to do now? (laughs) Can you take some word? Let's look uh, 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to believe the Lord for utterance for a few minutes here, and you believe with me for ears to hear and hearts that receive, and then we're going to do some things once we've done that, lest the Lord direct something different. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Before I get into this and my mind gets away from this thought, I just want to say again on behalf of Phyllis and myself and the church here how much we appreciate all of our friends and fellow ministers coming and joining us in this meeting. And I believe we've come up a notch. And and I am just delighted that more people are seeing the importance of a marriage meeting. You know, we're going to have our week of increase, first week of October. That's our, our uh, the churches and the outreach, two main meetings every year is this meeting, and then the uh, week of increase. And uh, a lot of people have been interested in the prosperity, you know, in the week of increase. But you know, uh, real prosperity is a good marriage Amen. and a good home and good relations with your children Grandchildren. How many stand? That's far beyond money. I mean, no amount of money can buy that. Prosperity is not just money. You know that, right? Prosperity has to do with the condition of your spirit and your soul and your mind and and your home. I mean, when you got loved ones that you love them in the Lord and they love you and you got peace in your home and you got joy, man, you got some heaven on earth. Right? That's real prosperity. And I've had mentioned it before, but a few of my minister friends, I see them here and there in our travels throughout the country, and they say, well, Brother Keith, you ever going to have a minister's meeting, a minister's conference? If you have one, I'll come. I say, yeah, I have one every June. We call it a marriage meeting. Oh, Brother Keith, I said, I'm serious. Have you read First Timothy? Have you read Titus? The qualifications for ministry? I mean, one little blip, it says, apt to teach. The whole rest of the passage is what kind of man, what kind of husband, what kind of father, what kind of marriage, what kind of home, what kind of kids. Is that right? Let me quote it. If a man know not how to take care of his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? That's not my idea. Why? Because it's identically the same principles make a successful home, make a successful church. Not similar, identical. Same ones. So what we're doing in this meeting is we're investing in and we're protecting and sowing a seed that can produce a harvest to prosper us personally, our marriages, our families. Our ministries, our churches, it's a ministry meeting, it's a prosperity meeting, it's a be protected meeting, it's a get free meeting, 
It's a be blessed meeting. <laughs> you know, for years we've seen a lot of people just didn't see importance of it or the need of it. But I thank God I'm looking at some people that obviously do. And more people are finding out and getting serious about it. Thank God. Thank God it's happening. And you know, fellow pastors and ministers, I mean, we just need to know. Uh, Phyllis and I were talking about a particular service that we'd had a while back. And uh, it wasn't so enjoyable. But yet I knew, and I didn't particularly enjoy it, it was kind of tough sledding. But I knew when I got through, it was good. And it was right. And sometimes, even though you don't get the overwhelming response that might encourage you, that doesn't mean it wasn't a good service. And even if a lot of your people stay away and don't come, that don't mean it wasn't God. That don't mean it wasn't right. And you don't need to change your schedule and change the plan because you didn't have overwhelming attendance or overwhelming offerings. If the Lord told you to do it, He told you to do it. It's right. And a lot of things you just gotta stay after. You just gotta stay after it. Amen. And just keep preaching the same thing. If two people come and one of them leaves, just have it again next year and just stay after it. Well, I got problems in my own life. Well, have you ever preached healing and you didn't feel good? Have you ever preached prosperity and you didn't have all the money in the bank? Well, the word's true whether you feel like it or not. And that's how you get there. Stay after it. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, stay after it. Don't quit. Stay with it. Tell them okay. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 12. And uh, 31, last verse of chapter 12, says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The NIV says, Now I will show you the most excellent way. The Amplified said, a still more excellent way, one that is better by far and highest of them all. Moffat says, I'm going to show you a still higher path. 20th century says, I'm going to show you a way beyond all comparison. The best. Anybody interested in the best? Do you know what the next verse says then? Love. And then it's love. And then it's more love. And in love, and love, and in love, and in what? Love, <laughs> and in some more love. We have one commandment in our new covenant, don't we? And all the law and the prophets are summed up in it. Do you know what it is? What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you. What? That you love one another as I have loved you. Now, a lot of people run over some of these things. He didn't just say love the world. What did he say? Love each other. And he said, by this shall all men know. Now, that's people on the outside are going to know that you're my disciples if you love who? One another. That's me loving you, you loving me, us loving our family, us loving our church family, 
us loving our born-again brothers and sisters in the family of God. Sure, we're to love the world, but specifically, he's talking about you and me loving in-house. And of course, if you can walk in love day in, day out with people that you live with, you can sure walk in love with people you just meet once a month. Or know from afar off. It's the people that's in your face every day. And you're around somebody a lot. Well, you're going to see their flesh. <laughs> Boy, I see a lot of knowing looks and nods right there. Boy, you got that right, Brother Keith. <laughs> well, I know it. I mean, you got flesh. I got flesh. We all got flesh. And you can yield to it any time you want to act dumb. I had a fellow, a pastor one time, bless his heart. He told me, he said, you know, I think one reason God gave us a husband, a wife, and a wife, a husband, is to have somebody that we could unload on. (laughs) Huh? (laughs) Somebody, you know, you can just let your hair down and be yourself. I'm hearing people thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Well, (laughs) a lot. But people say, well, I, man, I can't wait till I get home and I can just be myself. Well, who you being right now? <laughs> being phony will wear you out. It will fatigue you beyond limits. <laughs> what do people mean? Well, I can just let my hair down. I can just be, they're talking about fleshing out. Not even trying to think about what they sound like or if what I'm doing is imposing on you. Friend, we have no zone where we don't have to walk in love. There is no place where we're not supposed to be spiritual anymore. Hey, we just flesh out at the house, man. It's flesh, flesh. We just, oh, we feel it, we say it. We think it, we do it. Well, you got a disaster then. And you raising up a bunch of flesh little ones coming up after you. And they're going to do the same stupid stuff and ruin their life. No, I know you don't like to think about it, hear it. But every morning when you get up, you got this flesh. And all you got to do to be stupid is nothing. Just, just act like you feel and do what strikes you. And go with the rest of the world and you will be fleshy and you'll sow to the flesh and you will reap destruction and corruption. No, every day of our lives, we got to get up in the morning and say, all right, boy, got to walk in the word now. And no matter what you feel or what you see, you got to think before you talk. You got to check your heart before you just do something. Hmm? Anybody remember the big three? From Monday we talked about the big three. How to get through any kind of trouble. Love never fails. Faith believes all things are possible. And what was the other one? Truth. Now here's another way of saying truth. Another way of saying that whole concept is to say be led. So how would you get that? Because when the spirit of truth is come, what's he going to do? 
He's going to lead you into what? Into truth. And the answer to a million and one questions is, be led. And how's he going to lead you every time? Is he ever going to lead you different from this word? Or contrary to this word, which is truth. No, he's going to guide you into truth. He's going to bring truth to your remembrance. He's going to reveal and unveil truth to you. He's going to show you what is true and how to do truth and walk in it. And that will make you free. Won't it? It'll make you free from confusion. It'll make you free from chaos. It'll make you free from strife, love, faith, and being led. Now, before the night is over, Phyllis and I want to touch on some areas of questions. Over the years, we've had a lot of, you know, during this uh, week, we said if you got a question about marriage that you don't feel like it's been answered, you can write it down, you can turn it in. Well, we had several. We had uh, two or three envelopes full of questions. And we've had that in previous years. So over the years, we take them seriously. I mean, we look at every one of them. We talk about them. I write them down. I got a permanent record in my computer of them and I go back and review them and look at them and they are as varied as can be. I mean, the details are hugely varied and yet over the years, they start sounding the same. The details are different. But you begin to hear the same thing and you begin to realize there's nothing new under the sun and everybody's dealing with the same stuff. They don't think they are. He's telling them, no, your situation's unique. No, your situation's peculiar and you need special help, (laughs) special attention and special prayer, special counseling and friend. Every one of these words is special. And uh, what we have found, we're going to talk about three areas, and I've already touched on three things, and you're going to see these three great truths, and these three areas pretty much cover everything. I don't care what it is you're going through, you've already heard the answer. How can you come out of it? How can you get through it? Love. Faith and being led. Now, if you say, oh, my situation is more complicated than that. No, you're just confused. (laughs) Your situation is not so hard and difficult. How many know you're not going to surprise the Lord with anything? You're not going to run in and pray and fall before him and tell him what your spouse did and him go, what? (laughs) They did what? (laughs) They said, what? He's heard it all. He's seen it all. And yours ain't even in the top 100. (laughs) And how many believe that the answers are in the Word? Do you believe it? The answers are in the Word. You don't have to go try to find somebody or something else. or It's here. And it's not complicated. Things are complicated and complex when you're in the dark. But when you're in the bright light, everything's plain. Plain and easy to see. Obvious. Know what to do. 
So do not believe your case is too hard. That'd be failing on number two, wouldn't it? Faith believes. There's a way out of this. There's no temptation taking you. But such is common to man. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tested or tempted above what you're able. But will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. Somebody say, there's a way out. There's a way through this. There's a way out of this. There's a way to overcome. I'm convinced. I don't believe anything. Don't talk quitting and no way and too late and too bad and too much. That's unbelief. It's all unbelief. When you came through the door, you might have noticed it didn't say unbelief church. It said faith. (laughs) So if you're looking for folk to cry with you and tell you it's impossible, you're at the wrong place. (laughs) We care, but we're not going to doubt with you. A lot of people think, if you really care about me, you'd feel sorry for me. If I really care about you, that's the last thing I'm going to (laughs) do. If I care about you, I want to help any way I can. And I know worrying and agreeing with you about how impossible it is, is not going to help. It's going to make it worse. We're coming out of this, we're going to have to believe God. I know when I first started in the ministry, I grew up in a relatively sheltered home. Talking about things were pretty good. Thank God. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad loved each other and stayed together and loved us kids and had a lot of good things. And I didn't see a lot of the junk and terrible stuff that was in the world. And I got in the ministry. <laughs> and my one of my first jobs in the ministry was counseling with people. And, oh, brother, I mean, uh, somebody would be telling me about all the stuff in their life that had happened. And all the stuff that was messed up. And I mean, they'd start crying. And time they got through, they said, oh, Brother Keith, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd reach and hand them a Kleenex. and I'd get one for myself. (laughs) And I'd almost said it to, well, you know, I don't know what you're going to do either. I I have to bite my lip because I'm thinking, man, you're messed up. I didn't know people could get this messed up. Is that what you need out of your minister? A lot of people think they do. They want you to cry and y'all, let's just hug and cry and agree with me how mean they've been to me and how unfair it is and it ain't right. And you will stay down and never come out like that. No, if you got some smarts, you're going to want somebody that's got some faith. Hmm? You can be compassionate without joining them in their unbelief. Hmm? You can love somebody and care about them without joining them in their hopelessness. Faith has hope. Faith says, no matter if you can't see any light, faith says, there is a way out of this. There is a way through this. Because I might not know, but I know who does. (laughs) And he's with me and he's for us and he's already told us. You know, what does it mean? He won't allow you to be tempted or tested above that you're able. People have took that and just twisted all around and said, God won't put more on you than you can stand. Well, I reckon if he'd have wanted to say it that way, he would have said it that way. He didn't say it. What did he say? 
He won't suffer you. He won't allow you to be tested or tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way. What does that mean? That means if you find an opponent in the ring, you can whip him or he wouldn't be there. God wouldn't have let him get in the ring if he didn't know that him in you could overcome. He knows where you are right now. He knows where your faith is, where your knowledge is. He knows in your development. And he's not going to let something come into your life that really is too big for you to handle. Or you listen, friend. He's not going to let it. So if it shows up at your door, what do you know? I can whoop this. By very right of it being here, I can whoop. I know I can. Or it wouldn't be here. Now the devil will tell you, oh, this is too big, it's too big, it's too hard. Say, shut up, you lying devil. Get out the way. The greater one's in me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody believe that? These questions that people have, we're going to touch on some of these areas, but the answers we've already touched, we've already spoken. What can get you through any problem? Love, faith, and being led. Now, not just knowing about love, not just having 40 books on love. And 39 series on love and what love is and how to walk in love and the greatest Bible examples of love. You can have all that and utterly fail. What do you have to actually do? You have to love. You have to walk in love. It's a choice, not a feeling. I said it's a choice. Let me touch on this a little bit before we go further. Let me tell you some things love is not. Love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It produces some feelings. You can have feelings in it. But you can love somebody and do a good job of it with feelings of hate. Did I lose somebody? Said out loud, love Love is not not a a feeling. People talk about falling in love and falling out of love. And people act like it's this superstitious uh, mystery. People say, hey, you don't choose who you love. I mean, I just saw them and boom. It was love at first sight. And then, man, six months later, I looked at them and boom. (laughs) It was gone. And you know, you can't control that. Because when the thrill is gone, what can you do? Now you're laughing, but Christians, church-going people, ministers quit, they give up, they divorce, they go their separate ways. Why? Well, it was dead. Everything between us had died and it was already over. We just made it formal. 
What scripture did you base that on? Where'd you get that? People are so confused about love. It's a word that's tossed around, you know, love sick. <laughs> what does that mean? Love sick. God is love. God don't make you sick. And what he has shed abroad in your heart that is from him and from the inside of his being, his very nature, is not going to make you sick. Sex is not love. Did you hear me? Making love is a misnomer. <laughs> I lost some more folks right there. <laughs> Think about it. What do you mean making love? Creating love? We talked about this a while back. Stop using the word love concerning inanimate objects. It's inappropriate. Don't say I love my car. I love my house. I love my new watch, my new bracelet. I love to do this. I love to do that. God is love. The nature of love. I mean, that car ain't going to love you back. I think mine does. No, it don't. No. It don't. (laughs) I assure you, it can't. It has no feelings. And if you love it, you're wasting your love on it. It's an inanimate object. That one of these days, all the elements of this earth are going to melt with fervent heat. You brought nothing into this world, and it's certain you're not going to take anything out. But people we love, God we love, we love God, we love, use the word advisedly. Let's let Him renew our minds. Said out loud, love, love. is not a feeling. So you can love somebody no matter what your feelings are. Did the Lord say, this is the new commandment I give you? Love one another if you feel like it. (laughs) If the feelings are there. No. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's an act of your will. It's an act of faith. It's from your heart. You can love somebody that's been mean to you. Just choose to. Choose to do acts of love. And friend, if we learn how to do this and keep the commandment, we won't be subject to our feelings. Your feelings can ruin your life. Did you know this now? Your feelings are all over the place. Come on, you got to know this. Your feelings, they're here. They're there. They're over where? Where are they? I feel great. So you're great. I don't know. I just feel lousy today. Why? I don't know. I just feel lousy. Something wrong? No, everything's cool. I just feel kind of blue. And what they're saying, so I'm going to yield to it. That's really a dumb thing to do. Our feelings shouldn't govern our life. Love is not a feeling. 
Love isn't agony. Love doesn't make you sick. Love is a person. Love is a nature. Love is a force. Love is a commandment. Love is an act. You decide to love somebody. And then you treat them like you love them no matter how you feel. And your feelings just have to come in line. We've learned how to do that with healing. You just believe you receive your healing and you call your body healed. It may feel everything but healed. But you just keep calling it healed and you just stay on it. I mean, you may not see any money and bills everywhere, but you learn not to let that move you. You just say, no, I call myself prosperous. I call every need met. And you got to learn how to do that with your husband (laughs) and with your wife and with your (laughs) sister-in-law. What do you mean? I love them. You got to say it. It's an act of your will when they've done some hurtful thing. I love them and mean it. You feel like you love them. Don't ask me how I feel. (laughs) Lord didn't tell me I had to feel. He told me to love them. You see why I'm defining this? Because people think love is a feeling. It's a choice. God loved us while we were yet his enemies. You think we were giving him some warm and fuzzy feelings? (laughs) While we're railing against him and blaspheming him and... No, but he chose to. Oh, friend, this get a revelation of this. Now, we this chapter that we're going into, at the end of it says, love never fails. Let me say it like this. There is no defense against love. The enemy has nothing that can stop it or even slow it down. Nothing. It's something the enemy can do nothing about. If you decide you're going to love somebody and they say, well, I hate your guts. You say, well, I'm going to love you. What can they do about it? (laughs) How can they stop you? They can't. There is no defense against it. There's no weapon formed against it that can prosper at all. You can love people no matter what. And when you learn how to do it, it gives you a sense of empowerment. Well, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to get you back. Well, I'm going to love you. You better not. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> no, no, you can't love me because I hate you. Yeah, well, I can. It ain't your choice. But I'm going to do so much that you'll get where you don't. You can't. You can't. Because it's not based on my feelings. No matter what you did or how it made me feel, I can still choose to love you. It's a choice. It's an act of my will and my faith. Can you see this? I didn't intend to spend all this time on this, but it is important, isn't it? Let's read about this great love in 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard it. You've heard it again. A lot of you have heard it many times. But it's not what you've heard. It's not what you know. What is it? What are you doing? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm become a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Which is more important? Faith? Revelation? Spiritual gifts, 
Our love. See, some people are emphasizing the other more, aren't they? Oh, they're praying, 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 praying to be spiritual and to see things and to know things and to have things and and to have faith. And they're not walking in love. And they think they're spiritual. Being spiritual is being like God. He is love. And he describes this love. Love suffers long and is kind. Let me say it like this. Love is tolerant. Somebody say tolerant. These next few verses describe God. They describe his nature. And they describe the man or woman that is actually keeping the love command and is letting that love nature dominate their flesh and their mind and they're walking in this. The flesh is the opposite. Flesh is impatient. Have you noticed it? Love is what? Patient and kind while it's patient. What is flesh? Impatient and rude while it's impatient. Isn't it? I'm talking about your flesh. I'm talking about mine. I'm talking about everybody in this room. You felt it. You've experienced it. And you've yielded to it plenty. And I have. But let's stop. Let's grow up. Let's quit being carnal. Quit causing ourselves and our families trouble. Do you know that you don't have to say everything you know? And that things don't have to happen instantly for you. What is flesh? Impatient? Rude? Demanding? Flesh wants it. (laughs) Because you got this flesh every day of your life. All of our flesh is the same way. It wants it. It wants everything it wants. And it wants it. What are you waiting on? But that's not God. One of the things that impresses me the most about God is his patience. And it reveals how deep his strength goes. The more impatient you are, the weaker in faith you are. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Your faith is only going to stand as long as your patience endures. Faith and patience work together. You get tired of believing and you get, well, then your faith goes away. You quit. Anybody can believe God like a house of fire for three days. But when the weeks stretch into months and the months turn into years, that's what separates the men from the boys and the girls from the women, right? The person that can settle down and say, no, the word still says the same thing. And I believe the same thing. That's the person that will see miracles. Isn't it? And uh, with each other. You know, people you live with, that's what we're talking about. It's not okay to be impatient with each other and demanding because that's my spouse. That's my husband. That's my wife. We're, we're at home. I can let my hair down. I can be myself. No, you're not supposed to flesh out with them. You're not supposed to say, I want it and I want it now. Where's my stuff? 
You're acting like a heathen. Like an unsaved man or woman. In fact, there's some unsaved people that's cooler than that. (laughs) If we grow and develop, we'll be able to think things and see things and know things and not have to say it right now. Just because you know something, that's not direction to say it. Just because you see something or aware of something, that's not direction you're supposed to do something about it. Or if you are, you know, maybe you should pray. That's not the same thing as say. (laughs) Maybe you should consider. There's a time and season for everything. We need to learn to be patient and kind. What if everybody in the whole church was just patient as long as the day is long and kind? Everybody. (laughs) Everybody's going, oh, that's fine. Take your time. That's all right. Love suffers long and is kind. Tell me what else love is. Because we're reading about you, aren't we? I don't laugh too loud now. We're reading about you. Tell me, keep reading. Love suffers long and is kind. What else is love? Envies not. Keep reading. Vaunts not itself. Is not puffed up. Love is humble. It's not proud. It's humble. Keep reading. This ties in with the rest of it. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeks not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Now a whole lot of that you could sum up in one word. Love is unselfish. And if I had to choose one word. I mean it's bigger than that. It takes more than that to describe it. But if I had to just pick one that describes the nature of the flesh above everything else. is selfishness. That's where the pride comes in. Is the selfishness is hooked to it. Putting yourself forward, wanting to be seen, wanting to be known. It's all about you, you, you. I mean, if everybody's forehead was a TV screen, (laughs) monitor, and you could see what they were thinking on, it'd be very distracting. (laughs) Because you actually thought that y'all were talking and they had their mind on what you were talking about. Or that they were thinking about you. But you know what's on most of the channels on people's mind? Me. What I think, what I want, what I feel, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. I mean, virtually every program, you change the channel, and that one's about me too. And that's me. That's the adventures of me. And that's (laughs) me history channel and me vision channel, what I'm going to be, what I'm going to do, and what I think, and me sitcom and me talk show and news about me, even the commercials are about guess who? <laughs> it's nauseating. That's why so many are so unhappy. All of that you? <sighs> I, I, you may think that sounds strange, but spiritually speaking, Excessive flesh is nauseating. That's what it is. I'm not going to try to explain that right now, but it is. Somebody get up and supposed to do something, supposed to be in the spirit, and it's just a bunch of flesh. Notice how it affects you. 
You think, eh, it's just a bunch of flesh. That's the only word I can think to describe it. That's the nature of your flesh and mine. If we don't do something with it, it'll be proud and selfish and impatient and demanding every day and every night. But when you're born again, you pass from death unto life. You love the brethren because the love of God's been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And you can choose to be patient and kind. You can choose to be unselfish. Somebody say unselfish. Say it again, unselfish. Unselfish. Read the rest of it for me. Thinks no evil. It's not easily provoked. Doesn't get mad quick. It's like James said. It's uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, this is part of our big three we've been talking about, right? The truth. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but in the truth. Why would you say that? Selfishness doesn't care if it's right or wrong as long as I get what I want. Selfishness and flesh doesn't care if somebody does without. Doesn't care if the law is violated. Doesn't care if it's unfair as long as I get my money. Love and spiritual folks care that it's right and love the truth. Now we're getting into something really important right here. Phyllis and I dealing with marriage issues and problems, you hear this, you see this over and over and over again. People tell you their story and then they want to know who's right. Now who's right on this? Just by the way people say it, what is their expectation? They know they're right. And they're sure you'll see it and know it if you're spiritual. If not, they're going to have to go see somebody else. But spiritual, like they are. And what's the acid test of the spirituality that says that they're right? That's one reason. Why people should be a part of a church and submit themselves to the leadership. You're at a big disadvantage in having the strong marriage and having the strong family like you're supposed to have if you're not in a good church and if you're not committed and submitted. I didn't say it had to be this church. Unless the Lord said. That's between you and Him. But when I first started working at Brother Hagin's ministry, we had a prayer and counseling center. And I referred to me counseling with people. And that's where I started working with them. I'd counsel with people on the phone. And people came from all over and sat down and wanted to be counseled. And, oh, man, people like that. They want to come and tell you about their problems. And the Lord corrected him about it. We were having prayer on Wednesday nights, and he's leading. And he'd get to praying about it. I remember uh, night after night on Wednesday night, he'd get to praying about the prayer and healing center. And he'd say, what is that, Lord? And we'd hear a few words in English, but I didn't know what it was. And I guess he wasn't clear on it. And eventually, the Lord dealt with him real strongly. He said, I never told you to have a prayer and counseling center. I said prayer and healing. He didn't mean to 
add it or alter it. It's just how we think. And counseling was real popular. And this is what the Lord said to him. He said, sheep should be counseled in their own sheepfold. And if they don't have a sheepfold, that's a big part of their problem. Why? When he said it, it went off in me. I knew some people had just driven from hours away to the center there, and we had counseled with them. And they told me their story and their situation, and it painted some other people in a dim light. And we gave them some counsel, and they went on back, and they were happy to hear it. And then we found out two weeks later, it wasn't like what they said. They told their slanted side of it. And see, if that had been them talking to their pastors that have seen them for the past 20 years, they would know. But that's one reason why people won't stay in a place very long. And it's why they won't submit themselves to leadership. Because they want to go from place to place to place where people don't know them so they can con them. They can twist it the way they want to and tell it the way they want to. Problem with that is you don't get help. You never get help. People tell you what you want to hear, but it doesn't fix anything. Here's the point. It's not about who's right. Tell me what it's about. What is right? What is right? His word is right. His truth. It ain't about her being right or him being right, me being right or you being right. Both of us ought to be looking at what's the truth. And if the truth shows me up to be wrong, it's time for me to repent. If the truth shows you to be wrong, it's time for you to repent. A lot of times it shows us both up. Both of us were partly right and partly wrong, but it wasn't you right or me right. It was he's right. The word is right. Oh, husbands and wives, are you listening? Get rid of that. He said, she said, my side, your side. That's carnal. That's like unsaved people that don't even know the Lord. It ain't who's right. Help me out. What is it? What is right? What is the truth? And whatever the truth shows up, well, so be it. That's it. Let's submit ourselves to the truth. And if I'm trying to follow the Lord and conform myself to Him, and Phyllis is trying to conform herself to Him, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're going to the same place. And we're going to get closer. Stop this foolish battling who's right. Stop it once and for all. Lay it aside. No more. Get into who's right. We already know who's right. Hmm? He's right. His word is right. His truth is right. Thank you, Lord. What did the rest of it say? Rejoices not iniquity. Rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. What is it that's too much for love? When does love say, I've had it? I've had it. When does love say, and where does love say, I can't take this anymore? That's what sinners say. That's what unsaved people say that have no faith that don't know God. You expect that out of them. 
What do we say? Even if there's tears running down your cheeks, even if you ain't slept in a day or two, even if you ain't got a clue how in the world you could ever get out of it, what does faith say? There is a way. Love never fails. I'm not going to quit believing in them. I'm not going to quit believing in me. I'm not going to quit believing in God. I'm not going to quit believing in us. I'm not going to give up on our family. I'm not going to. Not now, not tomorrow, not next year. Ever. Never. When does love quit? When does love end? Read it out loud to me. It does what? Put it up in the Amplified, please. What is it? Verse 8? Or 7, excuse me. Amplified. Love does, read it out loud with me. Love does what? Bears up under anything and everything that comes. Boy, this love must be some powerful stuff. You can't crush it. You can't wear it out. You can't crack it. You can't break it. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. What if they've acted stupid the last 900 times? You think, hey, 901 could be it. <laughs> this could be it. <laughs> we could get it together this time. Somebody says, oh, you're foolish. No, no. Real love and real faith is, people call it optimism or uh, blind optimism. But no, this is just the nature of faith. You really walk in love like you're supposed to. People will think you're naive. They will. I've had people come to me before in situations and they said, Brother Keith. I said, yeah. I said, you know what? So-and-so, he got up and he said that it was a certain kind of a meeting. It wasn't public. He said, he was talking about you. I said, no. <laughs> he said he was. He did everything but call your name. I said, no. You think so? See, people think it makes you less. They're so interested in nobody playing me the fool, which is pride. They call it being spiritually perceptive, but it's mostly just being suspicious. I saw that look. I'm picking up on something here. Mm -hmm, You ain't got me fooled. Yeah, but you're the one staying in a cloud of... Uh, suspicion and not having any fun day in and day out because you think everybody's whispering about you and everybody, you know, what you need to have a revelation is most people got better stuff to do. (laughs) And it's really a whole lot of pride to think that they are thinking about you night and day. Who do you think you are? How important do you think you are in their life? Most of the time they ain't thought about you in a long time. And what you're going through is only hurting yourself. And what if they did? Well, maybe they're off of somebody else. They're on you. They ain't messing with them. Not talking about them. What does it matter? If you're secure and strong in yourself, you ought to be so strong in love and ever ready, ever ready to believe the best. Always ready. Anybody with me on this tonight? Always ready to believe the best. Somebody come up and slap you across the face. You back up and look down and go, whoa, did you trip over something? (laughs) You must have tripped over something and your hand fell across my face. 
You think I'm exaggerating. But the Bible says concerning evil, be a child. Didn't it say that? Be a child. Concerning good, be mature. No. It doesn't make you special and super spiritual because you're always reading between the lines and seeing. It just makes you superstitious and vulnerable and keeps your head in the fog, keeps you unhappy, steals your peace, steals your joy. What if they did say something dumb about you? You ever said anything dumb about somebody else? You ever talked when you should have kept your mouth shut? Well, they're just doing what you did. <laughs> so you know how to forgive them. Say, Lord, I, I did that. Forgive me. Whew. Have mercy on them. Lord, don't hold what they're saying against them. That's being mature. That's being love. That's being spiritual. Read it out loud. Amplified, put it up again, please. Verse 7, love does what bears up under anything and everything that comes is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Man, they've been a drunkard for 20 years. They've stolen money. They'll never get to God. Love will pipe up and say, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. We've been a praying. They could change this week. Well, you've seen it cussed you out last time they came. Ah, that's probably just the alcohol and drugs talking. How many know love has got thick skin? Oh, man, people can say and do all kind of stuff. You just shake it off and go, ah, Lord, forgive them. I've done dumb stuff myself. Ever ready to believe the best. Keep reading. What does it say? Its hopes are what? What? What does fadeless mean? means it's just as bright and strong 20 years later as it was 20 years before. Fadeless. Under all circumstances. It endures everything, what? Without? This has got to be supernatural. This is beyond you being gritty and tough. This is the nature of God inside you. Next verse, verse 8. Love what? Never fail. Say it out loud. Love never fail. Say it again. Love never fail. Say it again. Love never fail. Never fails. Never fails. Never fails. Stand up on your feet, everybody. I want you to pray this prayer with me, then we're going to do something else. Close your eyes, focus on him for a minute. Say it out loud, Father God, I'm a child of yours. I'm a love child of a love God. Your love, your nature, not the feeling stuff that the world talks about, but your very nature, your essence, your strength. Who you are and what you are has been deposited in me, has been shed abroad in my heart, in my insides, by the Holy Spirit. Help me more than ever to be God-inside-minded, love-inside-minded. Help me to be be 
increasingly aware of the love you've put in me, I will to, I desire to, by faith I choose to, allow this love to dominate my feelings, my thoughts, my words, my actions, and reactions, I purpose by your grace to walk in the God kind of love. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Say this out loud, Lord. Love my family through me. Love my fellow workers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. My neighbors, whoever I'm near, day or night, I make myself available. Help me to yield and love people through me in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. How does that work out practically? Let's go over it again real quick. How does it work out practically? You're tempted to be impatient and rude. What do you do? Bite your lip. Calm yourself down. Pull the throttle back. Be kind. Even if your flesh is jumping up and down saying, I can't take it. You say, shut up. Love never gets to the point where it can't take it. Hush. Get your flesh under control. Be kind. Even with all kind of thoughts of you hitting them with a hammer. In your head you go, shut up. Shut up. Just smile and be sweet. Nice. You're tempted to say, what about me? What about me? What about? Instead, what do you say? What about you? What do you need? What can I do for you? Your flesh will scream and say, I've had it. I have had it. I have had it. Never say it. Catch yourself. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Catch yourself. And what do you say? There's a way. There's a way through this. There's a way out of this. God's showing us. He'll help us. We're more than conquerors. We're overcomers. He always causes us to triumph. And that's just you choosing. Any one of us in here can do it. Just choosing to yield to the love instead of the flesh. We'll save ourselves untold problems and troubles. And we'll be a blessing to our people instead of a curse to them and a problem to them. We'll become more and more valuable to them. They'll look forward to us coming in. Because, you know, when we come in, the sun shines bright. We come in. The birds sing. No matter what, we're always up. Always caring about them. Always love, faith, and led in the truth. You can be seated. Phyllis, would you please come and join me? I know with the uh, ministering in the beginning and some other things, we've taken some time. But do you have a few more minutes? I mean, it's uh, it's marriage meeting. And I wanted to touch base 
uh, we did on a few things. We talked about the questions that people have turned in. And we don't want to embarrass anybody, and so there won't be any names called, and we'll be watchful not to describe situations too carefully, lest somebody identify it. And it's not necessary, because like we said, these start sounding the same after a while, because the enemy's using the same stuff on everybody, and it's the same answer. We've already got the answers to the test. Tell me what the answers are one more time. Help me out. What? Love. Faith. Now, not just knowing about it, but doing it. Do you really believe that, that you could make it through anything, doing those three things? It's the truth. Well, Phyllis and I were talking about this again today, as we have in years past. And uh, the questions that we read and thought about, looked at, they seem to all fall into these three areas. Most all of them, at least. And it's the same three areas that Brother Hagin used to talk about, which shouldn't be surprising. He said most people's marriage trouble occurs in these three areas. Money, sex, and children. And virtually all the questions that we've received, you could take three big files and read them and go, well, that's money. Yep, that's sex. Yep, that's children. And before we go any further, tell me how you'd get through all money problems. Walk in love. Keep believing God. Be led by the Spirit. How, could you come through any sex problem like that? Could you find the answer to any children's situation like that? So we wanted to talk about these three for a bit. And uh, I've asked Phyllis to join me and just jump in any time. <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? She'd rather just sit over there and not stand up. That's the kind of people that need to stand up. The ones that want to stand up a lot of times don't need to be. Money questions. We've had people say, well, what about uh, giving this way or what about tithing or uh, should we do this or should we do that? Or some people say, well, you know, they inherited some money or I inherited some money. So whose money is it? And uh, you got people that's got separate accounts, separate investments and uh, really separate lives when it comes to their finances and their things. And there's questions about, hey, he wants to spend money on his uh, folks, or she spends too much money on her people, or, um, you know, you got a lot of situations where the families uh, are composites from previous marriages and relationships, and so he's sending money to his children from a previous marriage, and she don't like it, or vice versa. And there's a lot of money questions, and people really get uh, bent out of shape over these things. Don't raise your hand, but do you know of anybody that's had any money issues or money problems? Boy, it's quiet in here. They can fix it the way I fix it. How do you fix it? You haven't seen a paycheck in 33 years. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. I know I got some money somewhere. <laughs> Phyllis and I had money problems. Thank God it was years ago. But we had serious money problems. I mean, we got, we messed up. We spent when we should have saved. We spent when we should have sowed. And we had to make some real changes. This has been after about 10 years of being married. We're in our 32nd year now. Thank the Lord. And um, after 10 years of marriage, we looked at each other one night and said, you know, we're just now beginning to learn how to be married. Because we, you know, we didn't start off on the Word. And we didn't have that foundation and input. And so we made a whole lot of mistakes we shouldn't have made. And a whole lot of trouble. And financial pressure is bad stuff, isn't it? And it puts pressure on relationships. It puts, you know, when you've got, you're behind and, and you can't pay and, uh, it hinders your, uh, fellowship. It hinders your sex life. It hinders you being the kind of daddy or mama that you should be. Money pressure is a bad thing. And, uh, God would have us free from that. But we have to do things His way. One of the first things the Lord got a hold of us about, and you've heard it before, but again, it's not what you've heard, it's what you're doing, that we weren't putting Him first. We tithed kind of, sort of, when we could. How many of that's not tithing? We gave some here and there, probably more than other folks did. But the Lord brought me to Matthew 6.33 about seeking first the kingdom of God. And he took me through a scenario. He said, if you get paid and the first thing you think about and do is your bills and your payments, your apartments, your house payments, your car, your insurance, your kids, their clothes, their food. And people think that's just right. Well, you got to put your family first. People say, if you do, God's not first. Your family and God can't be first. Whichever one's first, the other one's not first. Now people get fighting mad, so well I gotta take care of my kids first and foremost, and I'm going to. Well, just miss it then. God cares more about your kids than you do. He knows how to take care of them. And he's told us how to do it. We had to make changes. You don't take care of everything and then see if you got something left to give. Or see if you can tithe now. You'll never be able to that way. So we made some changes. We uh, got a separate account we call the God account. Every time we got paid or anything came to us, first thing we took off 10% plus an offering, and our percentage has grown through the years, 11%, 12%, 15%, and we're blessed. But we started off with, what was it? It was like 12%, something like that. We'd take that off. We'd put it in the account. And then we realized I had a brand new car and we had some other stuff. And the Lord dealt with me one day. He said, son, I don't care if you have five of those, but you're trying to act like you're at a place you're not. And your priorities are wrong. It's taken all the faith we had to believe for car payments and insurance and 
and our house payment and our stuff, maintaining this lifestyle that we had chosen. And if that's first, and if that's taking all your attention, God's not first. His kingdom is not first. And we're being meetings and be offerings and projects going on, and we wanted to give. The desire was there, but because of our wrong decisions, we're not in position to do it. Everything we're making is committed to these. And people say, well, I can't afford to tithe because I've made all these commitments. Well, you should have thought about that before you signed the line. You should have looked at it. You thought, well, you know, can I tithe and give offerings and still do this? So we sold the new car. We sold the pickup. We sold this. We sold that. We lick and we begin to pay stuff off. The Lord had given Phyllis a car and I rode with her for a year and a half. She was kind enough to let me ride with her. And we paid stuff off and we got ahead and we started increasing our giving. Are y'all with me now? We started really putting God first. We really tithing and really sowing. And he brought us out. And we've just kept getting in better shape since then. Year after year after year. You have to put God first. There were times that she and I spent too much on stuff. And I remember telling her one evening, I said, Phil, we can't do this. We can't spend this on this. I want you to have stuff and I want you to have your own money uh, that you can just spend on whatever you want to. But we're not there right now. Believe God. Let's believe God together. Let's get where we need to be. And I'm believing that one day you'll have a Phyllis account. The Phyllis account is you spending on whatever you want to. You can blow it all on hats if you want to. <laughs> or shoes or, you know, whatever. And it took us years. Everybody say years. 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 But what was it about seven, eight years ago? We opened the Phyllis account. And uh, money, our personal money, goes. some of it goes there. And uh, she spent probably most of it on me. <laughs> and I thought, man, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but people ask questions about, well, you know, his money, my money, you know, they're fighting, they're fussing, they're hiding stuff too. Hiding what you're spending will put distance between you and your spouse, even if they don't know it. It's a spiritual violation, and it's going to put distance between you. We've known of all kinds of stories. How do you know about them? Hmm? How would you know about them? I've heard of them. (laughs) You know some stories? I got instruction from somebody one time. That was uh, when we were first married. It was, uh, just go buy it and hide it in the closet and tell them you've had it a long time. Yeah, take it out later. Take it out later and say you've had it. I tried that once. It didn't go over real well. Didn't (laughs) work. You were smarter than that. (laughs) Well, it's just like the Lord with me. It wasn't that he didn't want me to have the new car. And it wasn't that I didn't want Phyllis to have the new clothes and new stuff. We just weren't there. 
Everybody say priorities. Priorities. What must come first? The kingdom of God should come first. And then after that, your obligations. What you owe. What you need to do. And uh, so many times people are, you know, they'll work hard all week and then they want to reward themselves. So they go to the mall and they spend money on stuff they shouldn't be buying. They eat out when they shouldn't be eating out. They're doing stuff when they should. And pride and selfishness is going on here. Show and tell. Show and tell. A lot of it's fear. Fear that if I don't grab it this way, I will never get it. This is the only way we're ever going to have it. And there are all kind of people in the church and out of the church, they borrow with no intent of paying it back. They get stuff, no expecting to lose it, but they figure I'll get to enjoy it for a little while. And they figure that's the only way they will ever get to. Husbands and wives, they lie to each other. They spend money and they hide it. And they lie about what they spent and how much it was. It was $900 and they tell their spouse it was 400 And How many understand there's no way you can make this stuff all right? Lying is the nature of the devil. Now, we went over this Monday, and we need to talk about it again tonight. Just smile and look straight ahead. <laughs> Don't let your face give yourself away. Just, right? You get too sober and too intense, folks will know that it's you. So... <laughs> Just, and, and if you need to deal with some things, deal with them in your heart and later on. But you are not going to prosper in your marriage and relationship lying to each other about your spending and your money and your debt and hiding things and hiding money from them and having separate accounts that you don't tell them about and all this other stuff. That's going to be a block and a distance, a gulf. Between you and the, even if they don't know the details, spiritually it's there. And you won't be able to fix it or get past it till you repent and get honest with each other. Uh, you hear a lot about people, he's fussing that she spends too much on clothes and jewelry and this and that and she wants to spend too much on the house or whatever. He's spending too much on fishing or riding around or a motorcycle or guns or or whatever the case might be. And it's every man for himself. And they're not together. Now, Phyllis and I made mistakes in these areas. I told you this. But what the Lord helped us to learn nowadays, we talk about it. Somebody say talk. talk. Communicate. Both of us are... Uh, What we talked about earlier, we're not just looking for who's going to win this argument. Am I going to get my motorcycle or is she going to get her new furniture? She's not my enemy. I'm not her enemy. We're not in competition. She's not my source. I'm not her source. I said I'm not her source. One of the first times she really sewed some clothes. I mean, she had sewed some things before, but I mean, she about cleaned her closet out. And somebody found out, they said, oh, Brother Keith, you're going to have to buy her all new clothes. I said, I'm not her source. <laughs> that ain't on me. I want to get her stuff, but it's not up to me to replace those. She sowed a seed. She's not looking to me. 
And too many times you got that. Husbands and wives are looking at each other. Oh, honey, please, can I have it? Please, please. I got to try to talk her into it. She's got to try to talk me into it. Why are you doing this? He's not your source. She's not your source. You can sow a seed and believe God. If you really believed in it. It could come in. Independent of him or her. And the Lord just bring it in to you. Who would find fault with that? You didn't spend his money. You didn't spend money you should have spent on food or paying bills. It came another way. Came through a different channel. Can you say, okay. (laughs) Say it out loud, no hiding. Absolutely. Absolutely. No lying. lying. Friend, I hope you understand. That's just about one of the worst things you can do in life is tell a lie. You're using that person's trust in you to deceive them. They're looking at you, maybe even their heart's going, well, that don't seem right. And you're looking, oh, yeah, that's all it was. And they're looking at you, well, surely they wouldn't stand there and tell me a lie. And you want to believe them. That's just like the devil tries to do to you every day is convince you that a lie is the truth. Say it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. No lying. lying. Now, friend, if you've lied, you need to make some things right. Do it. I know it's not fun. I know you don't want to do it. But if you ever want your relationship to be right, you got to quit this and you got to straighten things up. You believe it? You know, we have vision lists around here. And Phyllis and I sit down and talk, and we're in this thing together. And we know if I'm not able to get what I want right now, that don't mean I'm not going to get it. She's not able to get what she wants right now, that don't mean she's not going to get it. She's going to believe with me, I'm going to believe with her. And we found out, sometimes it's later than what you would like for it to be in, but there will come a right time and the right situation. And the money will be there. And it won't be a burden. How many know the Bible said the blessing of the Lord makes rich and what? And he adds no sorrow with it. That car I talked about we got rid of, it was a burden. I mean, it was a nice car, but it was a burden. Everything about it was a burden. And a couple of years after that, the Lord gave us one, and it was no burden at all. Houses and people's lives can be a burden. But the Lord give it to you the right way and the right thing. It's no burden. It's a blessing. And if you need to tighten your belt and you need to change some things and make some adjustments, do it in faith. I got rid of that vehicle saying, well, later on I may have three of these. But right now, we've got to put God first. You want to say anything else about that? Or? A second one is sex. Got even quieter. You want me to just let you handle this one? Got it. <laughs> you want me to start or you want to? You are the head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of problems in the sex area. People don't talk about them. They pretend it's not. They try to ignore it. 
but many, many, many problems. And it shouldn't be. doesn't have to be. The world makes far too much out of sex. The world elevates sex as like the ultimate experience. And it's not. Even the best sex that a husband and wife can have is not the ultimate experience. It's physical, so it couldn't be. Spiritual elements can be involved, but people put pressure on themselves that they shouldn't. And people believe lies. A lot of affairs. We don't like to talk about it, but it's an epidemic in the church, even amongst ministers. You know it, I know it. People don't talk about it. They're ashamed of it. They want to cover it up. And also the cause of many divorces. Put up Malachi 2 on the screen, if you would, guys. Malachi 2, 16 in the uh, today's English version, if you've got that one, the TEV. Read it out loud with me. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate it when one of you does such a cruel thing to his wife. Make sure that you do not break your promise to be faithful to your wife. Why is God against adultery and fornication and divorce? He's against people being hurt. And it brings much pain. And it's a lie. You know, the enemy tries to give people this fantasy that, you know, oh, she's not like my wife. She's amazing. The truth is, she's very much like your wife. But people imagine that this person is beyond these fleshy failures and issues. And if they ever get to know them, they find out, hey, you still got to wash your clothes and you still got to cut your grass and you still got to pay bills and they still uh, don't look perfect all the time and don't act perfect. Don't let the devil deceive you into throwing away something precious for something that doesn't exist except in your imagination. He's the perfect man. He's not rude and crude and uncouth like my Husband, he's romantic and he's this and he. Well, anybody can be anything for two hours. <laughs> Go back and remember how you two were when you didn't know each other. Don't let the devil deceive you. Questions about one partner wanting to do something in physical relations and the other person not wanting to do it thinking it's wrong. Love is not interested in forcing something on somebody, is it? And on the other hand, love wants to please. And Phyllis and I were talking about this earlier today. This will help if you'll just meditate on this one thing. People talk about they've lost desire, or this person desires physical relations a lot more than their spouse does. 
And if you've lost your desire, how do you get it back? I'm going to tell you how. Is this fun or what? They're paying attention. Yeah. Did you want to jump in here? Jump. Let me say this again. Sex, our quest of the most perfect, amazing sexual experience is, again, a fantasy. It's not the ultimate experience in life. It's not the be-all and end-all of life. And if you throw away your life and your business and your family for sex, you're a fool. A man is a lot more than a body. A woman is a lot more than a body. And men and women, husbands and wives, should have good physical relations. They should enjoy each other. But people put too much pressure about this. They make too much emphasis on it. And they've got this stuff in their mind. And as a result, people grow apart and they're dissatisfied. And they're comparing reality to fantasy. I know we had a couple come in one time. Sat across from my desk. She was all upset. I said, what? What's wrong? She said, well, he's not like so-and-so. I thought, well, who is so-and-so? I looked at him, and he looked at me in angst. He said, it's this guy on a soap opera, Brother Keith. I said, (laughs) I looked at her like, you're kidding, right? She said, no, he's so-and-so is so kind and he's so romantic and he's so and she was trying to find I said he's such an actor (laughs) actor means not real now you're laughing but people are comparing their husband and wife to movie figures aren't they to something they read in a novel and Romance novel, fiction novel, movie, they are. They're doing it. And the truth is, this guy or this girl that they're so infatuated with just got out of their fifth marriage. Did you hear me? Nobody can live with them. They're nothing like what they're pretending to be. They're just a good actor, pretender. A lot of them don't even like this person they're doing the scene with. They just pour it on, and then the director says, cut. And they say, good, we're done with that. And they go back to their trailer. Is that right? Surely we're not this ignorant. (laughs) That we throw away something real and precious for something that doesn't even exist. Not even real. Fantasy. And a lot of people, they just go through relationship after relationship after relationship after marriage after marriage after marriage after affair after affair after affair, chasing that fantasy. And as soon as it becomes real, they go, oh, I don't want this. I'm looking for that. And they'll ruin everything in their life. Have no respect. Build nothing. How many have been married for more than a few months? Even several years. You've got a lot invested in that relationship, haven't you? Surely you're not going to throw it away. What do investments do over time? They accrue. They accumulate. They multiply and there comes payoff. How to get your desire back? Do you want to jump in here? (laughs) 
I'm just following. Okay. The Bible compares physical relationships between husband and wife repeatedly to food, eating food. Now, if that sounds strange to you, don't take my word for it. Study it out. Over and over and over compares it to food. And because the desires are so similar, they're actually both of the flesh, it can involve, some say, well, it's more than the flesh. It is. Eating can be more than flesh. The emotions can be involved. If you're not hungry at all, Is it possible to get hungry? How can you get hungry if you just have no appetite at all? I can tell them. Tell them. If I watch the Food Network. (laughs) (laughs) And Keith is there with me. Which you have done. And I don't get hungry, but it's the funniest thing. If they're making lasagna, he wants lasagna. I want lasagna. If they're making cheeseburgers, he wants cheeseburgers. That's if they're right. making steak, he wants to go get a steak. Whatever is being cooked at that time. Well, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> well, that's the best response we've had in the last hour and a half there, man. Glory to God. We're on something now. Seeing that. Especially if you can smell that fresh homemade lasagna. We're not talking about the stuff that come out of the freezer now. We're talking about Mama Mama Nettie. Uh, <laughs> laid it out by hand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No microwaves involved. <laughs> Made the sauce by, you know, half a day. and Well, you'd not even be hungry. And you get to looking at that and get to smelling that. What happens? Desire. People get all hung up about, well, the desire is gone. We just don't have any desire anymore. Hey, desire can come quickly and easily if you know what to do. And we've already talked about love is not a feeling. Don't think you don't love them because the desire is not what it once was. Don't be foolish like that. Love never was a feeling. God is love. His love, His nature is in you. Now, we have problems in our relationships with physical relations for some of the same reasons we have some problems in our diet. We are the open a can, just add water and zap it, Drive through in 30 seconds generation. And anybody can get tired of that. Anybody following me or not? (laughs) There's more than one way to be nourished physically and eat. You can run in. And open a can of pork and beans and zap them on a paper plate and get you a couple of crackers 
and there you go. But now you do that 50 times in a row. And tell me what will happen. You'll get where you don't want to see a can of pork and beans. You lose all desire. And if that's all that's available, you get to where you don't want to eat much. I mean, just get, <laughs> you'll lose some weight and just go for a while because people say, well, I'm hungry. Well, pork and beans again. <laughs> Open a can, zap it, paper plate, there it is. <laughs> There's another way to eat. I said, there's another way to eat. You clean up, comb your hair, (laughs) put your clothes on, decent clothes. You go out and they've been cooking all day. White tablecloth, seven course gourmet meal, real butter. Real, not this margarine junk, real cream, no powdered stuff, no dehydrated, add a little water. No, Mama Nettie was back there. (laughs) You really enjoy your meal. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about or not? Or do you need an interpretation? (laughs) Ah. Thank you, Lord. So, no matter how weak your desire has become, don't be moved by that. Understand, right circumstances, right situations. Uh, if you'll take the time, if you'll do the right things, that desire can come back strong. And uh, people treat things too lightly, too flippantly. They're in too big of a hurry. list goes on. We live in that kind of generation anyway. And if we'll be more spiritual... You know, people have a lot of things going on in their life that they should absolutely eliminate. They're busy, busy, busy and don't realize a lot of the stuff they're doing, the Lord didn't tell them to do. And it's draining them. You know, people come in from work and they're exhausted. And they wonder why they got no desire. And the last physical relations they had for the past 30 times was pork and beans on a paper plate. It'll get you by, but (laughs) you have more time than you think you do. Had the Lord say this to me one time, and I want you to listen and heed it now. He's directing me to do something that would be adding things to my schedule and my life. And I thought, Lord, when am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? He said this to me. 
He said, son, if you don't have more than enough time to do what I direct you and ask you to do, you are wasting time. I knew he was right, but I didn't see it at the moment. I began to go through and look at things we were doing, and sure enough, there's so much stuff you do, and things that you do that the Lord didn't tell you to do, you fill your life up. You have to watch about stuff with the kids. Well, I want to be a good parent, so I'm going to put them in every program. That's not being led by the Spirit of God. And if you're not taking care of your spouse because you have nothing left, after all the stuff you do with the kids, and I'm not talking about over a few days, I'm talking about year after year. You're missing it. People use it as an excuse, but it is no excuse. People are not led enough. They Go back and look. Did I pray about that? Did the Lord tell us to get involved in that? Did he tell us to do that? Well, the kids wanted to. That's not a leading. Everybody else was doing it. That's not a leading. You need to pray on every situation. And I assure you, if you'll eliminate the stuff the Lord didn't tell you to do, what's left, you'll have plenty of time, and you'll be refreshed, and you'll have energy and strength to do it. So this excuse, I mean, this is one of the biggest excuses, men and women. I'm too tired. I'm worn out. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm done. Nothing left. It's because you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. Maybe you think it's necessary. Go back, ask the Lord. Don't take my word for it. Look at your everything you're doing. Ask the Lord. Lord, show me. Are you serious about this or not? Then just say it right now. Say, Lord, Lord show me, show me. Everything, in my life everything in my life you didn't tell me to do, me to do. that's draining me, that's taking up my resources, Reveal it to me. Show it to me. Show me what to change. Now, if you'll do this, I'm telling you, it'll free up whole blocks of your life and your time, and you'll get extra rest, and you'll be in shape to make the investments into the time with your spouse and your children like you should. Family is important. Got to watch about not spending time with your spouse and your family because of this and that. You want to make sure the Lord told you to do it. If He did, He'll make it up to you. If not, it's just something you've lost and you won't be able to get back. Now that brings us to the third and the last one. Children. A lot of questions about children. A lot of problems people are experiencing. Questions like, who's got authority over the kids? Who gets to say so? Well, he's their daddy, but he's never here. I have to deal with everything. And then you've got, again, composite families. And it's his kids, but it's not her kids, and and vice versa. Our grandma and grandpa's got the kids. A lot of questions about it. Just because somebody fathered a child or somebody was the physical mother, if they're not in that child's life and they're not taking the responsibility, then they don't automatically have all the rights to say and do. 
whoever has taken responsibility and whoever's given that child their time is going to have the greatest influence. And children grow up quickly, don't they? You don't have a bunch of years that you can just miss. If it's your child, it's your child. And you have a small window to invest into them. What was that you told me about that father and son just the other day? You want to tell that? Well, one of our guys told his child that he was going to spend the day with him or the weekend with him. I can't remember which one it was. And he said, we'll do whatever you want to do and we'll go wherever you want to go. And he thought he was going to want to go to some of the nicer places to eat and, and the activity places and do all these things. And he, they did. And they did it all day long or all weekend long. And, and at the end of the day or whatever it was, they were done with it. And they just went for a walk around the park and uh, or around the pond or whatever it was. And uh, so then when they, he went to bed that night, he looked at him and he said that his favorite part of the day was just the walk around the pond. Yeah, he asked him what was his favorite thing. And he said, just that. Yeah. He said, well, why? He said, well, it was just me and you, Dad. Just me and you. You know, and it wasn't all the money that was spent. And it wasn't all the other things. It was the dad listening to the son. You know, it didn't take all the money and all the effort and all the things that most parents think that it takes. And that's the greatest thing that I've learned about listening and dealing with the youth is when they come in there is they want somebody to listen to them. You know, they want somebody that will respect them and listen to them. And a lot of times people are so busy anymore, a lot of times it doesn't get to happen. And so uh, we take the time sometime and listen to them. But um, that's what happened with this child is... The listening to them. Um, people are so focused on the natural, material side of rearing children that they're missing it big time. You can be the most amazing provider. You can provide your children with the finest home and the best food and the best clothes, send them to the best schools, get them the best college education, and be a failure as a parent. Are you listening, friends? The material side is not the most important side. It's not the biggest side. And if you are never spending any time with them, trying to give them every opportunity in life and everything in life, you're missing it. Those years are slipping by. The spiritual side is the best part and the biggest part and the most important part. Oh, friends, are you with me? And there's no way to do that part except one-on-one. You can't do that remote. You can't do that without being in their life and time. I know my dad's gone home to be with the Lord now, but one of the greatest things he ever did for me is just what Phyllis was saying. When I got to be in my early, early teens, he and I would talk. He'd let me do most of the talking a lot of the time. He'd sit and listen to me as a 13-year-old boy for an hour and a half and not interrupt me. Just listen and give me a phrase or two or a thought and we'd go to something else. Man, it did something to me. Because if the relationship is right, every boy wants to be like his dad. Every daughter should want to be like her mom. If things are right. And 
you want to please them and you want to usually want to impress them. For a parent to give you that complete attention like that gives you a sense of value and worth and significance. And you begin to get an identity, who you are and what you are and direction. Have you ever been a teenager? I'm looking at gray hair and no hair. And Do you remember? Do you remember when you were 12, 13, 14? Did you have a lot of questions? Were you looking? Were you searching? Did you, you trying to figure stuff out and find it? And then people call it looking for their self. Well, you find these things in Christ, but you need elders and leaders. And friend, your parents are supposed to play a big part in this. And you've got to give them your time. Don't think you're doing everything because you're paying the bills. And don't just preach to them all the time. Like what Phyllis has told me. Don't just preach to them night and day. The Lord led us to do differently in our youth group. We didn't do it for a little while because we didn't get direction. And finally the Lord showed us. He said, these guys... They go to school and they sit and are taught. And they go here and they sit and they're taught. And they're doing this and they're sitting and they're taught. Everybody is doing this to them all the time. And we're going to do it again in church. So Phyllis leads and directs in the youth group and she does it differently. She doesn't just go in there and teach them. They listen. They let them tell them what they're dealing with and what they're going through. And they preach. Let them preach. Preach to each other. And they say, well, what do you do if, you, if your girlfriend leaves you? And what do you do if this and that? And what if you do if you mess up with this? And somebody offers you this? They say, take it to the Word. What does the Bible say? And they find the Scriptures. They get the answers. And they know that they didn't get it from just somebody's opinion. And they help each other. This will last them the rest of their life. It will stay with them. But you've got to listen. It takes time. And you've got to be unselfish. Not just want to preach continuously and tell and correct and direct. You'd find out a lot of things just listening. People say, well, my kid won't talk to me. It's because of the last way you responded. You can't freak out. You can't go ballistic. You can't. You got to stay cool. Got to stay collected. They got to be able to tell you anything. And you know that the world's not going to come to an end. Because you actually have some faith yourself. And you believe that some way we're going to get through this. The Lord will show us how. Can you say amen? amen? The scripture does say love corrects, but it also loves and coddles and hugs and the other things. And kids really get tired of everything they do being corrected. And uh, if that's all you're doing to them all the time is correcting them, they're going to begin to run. 
they're going to run away from it. If that's all they get from the time they get up in the morning till the time they go to bed at night, I see it in them, and I see it in the youth. And I see the ones that's going to stay, and I see the ones that's going to run. And you can see it the moment they get in the youth group because you know the parents that think they're doing what the Word says by love corrects, and they're keeping them on the strictest, straightest line, and they're not letting them move at all. And they think they're doing good by the children by never letting them make any decisions or never letting them do anything. And they're correcting them all the time. And the children are never allowed to make a mistake of any kind. And so they're correcting them all the time. And the kids come in there and they're like tied up in a knot, you know, and it's a fear of sorts. Yeah, it's fear. And you can tell immediately that as soon as I can, I am out of here. And there's nothing almost that you can do because you can only put so much into them in a short period of time. But you know their heart is, as soon as I can, I'm out of here. But then the other ones, the parents that do love their kids, and they do correct them, and they keep a straight line, and they know where they are. And they don't just let them run wild, but yet and still, they let them make some mistakes. And they trust them enough to know if they make mistakes, they're going to say, you know what, I blew it. And they talk about it in there. We've had them talk about, you know, I blew it and I did this with my car or or I drank this or I did this. And they come out and they come clean and they tell things, you know, but they have a place to do it and they feel free to do it. And you'll see these kids, I've seen them over and over and over again. Maybe they were really messed up and maybe they were even doing drugs, but I've seen them turn and come right back in because people weren't just nailing them all the time. But they were having the freedom to make the mistake, but somebody loving them through it. There's a big difference between the two. Love does correct, but if you're being corrected 24-7, you're going to run. And it happens. I see it all the time with our kids. Yep. They've got to know they can tell you anything, and you can handle it. And they've got to feel free and comfortable. I... You know, I've talked about my dad. I was that way with him. I mean, I could tell him anything. And I did. And uh, it's wonderful. Every parent and child should have that freedom and that closeness. Phyllis and I are continually surprised at how parents don't think their children are making any mistakes. <laughs> you know, they'll find out that their child messed up and they're just aghast they're just shocked and it's been going on for two years and they couldn't see it all you got to do is remember yourself (laughs) well no they're not like me they are like you they're way more like you than you want to admit and so whatever you were doing keep an eye out not we're doing whatever you are doing you're not hiding yeah it's coming out and we're dealing with it that's true You know, it's like you can pretend like you're not looking at porn and your kids don't know it, but they're looking at porn on their cell phones. You know, uh, we're seeing it, you know, and uh, or you can pretend like you're not watching the wrong things on TV and your children are doing the same thing. And it's that spirit is in your house and it's there. And uh, we're picking up on it, you know, and the older ones, the younger ones, it's 
you don't run away from spiritual things. They're, they're existent. And it's not a natural thing that you're going to be able to hide. Uh, lying, is, you may not lie to them, but if you're lying it to your boss or you're lying to this one, that spirit is there. Mm -hmm. And the kids are picking up on it and we'll deal with it in the children's or we'll deal with it in the youth or we'll deal with it wherever it is. You don't act one way and then expect your kids to act another way. They're it going to be work. you. Yeah. You know, and they're going to do what you do. And um, it's hard on them to be corrected for the very same thing that you're doing. Yeah. You know, do as I say, not what I'm doing doesn't work. Everything produces after its own kind spiritually, not the front you project what you actually are. You can think you hid it so well and nobody knew for years and you'll look up one day and you'll see it in them. And you'll think, how? Because it's spiritual. If it's there, it's going to get in them. The only way to keep from transferring it is to get it out of you. That's the only way. If you don't want it in them, the only way is to get it out of you and to quit yielding to it. Otherwise, I'm telling you, you'll look up and it'll be there. They'll be doing it or it'll be some form of it. It's a spiritual law. The only other thing I thought of is we've dealt with this a good bit because we have so many in our society now that uh, you've got, you know, the dad here and the children here. And because the dad's not with them, he feels like he doesn't have any right to say anything about their spirituality. You know, he feels like, well, mom's got them and she takes them where she wants them to go to church or she takes them where she wants them to do this and she doesn't want them going to church with me. Well, if you're still their dad you should have some spiritual input into their lives. You're going to answer to the Lord Farm, and I've said it before, whether or not you're there, you're still their dad, and you should have some spiritual input. I don't care if you've got to every night pick up that telephone and read their chapter with them and let them know that you are going to put this spiritual input into their lives. Mm -hmm. Some way, somehow, you be a spiritual input into yeah. their lives and let them know how important important and valuable that part of their life is to you yep. if you only have 30 minutes with them instead of going shopping and buying something for them at least talk to them about those things and deal with those things because that in the end will be the most important thing yes. to them not a new shirt or a new pair of shoes but how they fare in life because they know how to sew or they know how to give or they know how to do these things that will in the end be the thing that carries them through life not that new pair of shoes that wears out in a few months yeah yeah the spiritual things that's right. Don't just, moms or dads, your problems, legal problems, 2,000 miles apart, whatever. Don't just give up and say there's no way. And if somebody blocks you and says, you know, you can't do that, you can't have that input, that's your child too. Don't give up. Believe God, there's a way. Right? Faith won't quit. Love won't quit. The Lord will lead me. There's a way. You stay at, do not just give up and say, well, I can't. There's no way I can quit. Don't do that. There is a way. You believe God. You do what you got to do. You believe for the money. You get the airfare. You, you know, run up the phone bill. Pay for it, of course. But do whatever you need to do to have what Phyllis is talking about. Not just send them some money. Spiritual input. Time. Personal. Hallelujah. Father, just close your eyes if you would. Father, I pray over everybody here. Ere we conclude and people go their way and we conclude the marriage meeting. We can't say everything. We don't know everything. But 
We believe your spirit is at work. And Lord, there's no need for people to hurt and be in anguish, and be in torment, go year after year that way. We believe in you that the word will not return void, but that the divine eternal seed of life is planted in the hearts and minds of men and women. And we say and decree in Jesus' name that seed will put roots down. That seed will grow and spring up and produce fruit. Fruit that remains. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.